hello and welcome to the Leaders in Clean Tech podcast. Each week, our host, David Hunt, speaks to a leading startup CEO, executive, or thought leader in the clean tech sector. Focused on the clean energy and clean mobility transitions, each guest shares the highs and lows of their clean tech journey, their industry insights, and their vision and hopes for the future. Hello, I'm David Hunt, CEO and founder of Hyperion Executive Search and your host for the Leasing Clean Tech podcast. This week, my guest is Patrick Sheehan. Patrick is founder and managing partner at ETF Partners, a specialist clean tech venture fund. Patrick has worked in venture capital since 1985 when he joined 3i. He was instrumental in founding 3i's venture capital practice in the early 1990s and subsequently in the late 1990s was the founding managing partner of its Silicon Valley operation. Prior to his career in venture capital, Patrick was a research engineer in electronics, working in fiber optic signal processing for GEC, and before that, advising on advanced antenna designs for a technical consultant for Marconi Space Systems, while completing a PhD in electronics. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello and welcome to the Leasing Cleans Up podcast, Patrick. It's great to have you join me. Thank you. Nice to be here. So whilst most of our guests are CEOs and founders of cleantech startups and scale-ups, I like to get a view from the cleantech investment community quite often, or certainly from time to time, Um, partly because so many entrepreneurs listen to the podcast and partly because you obviously get so many market insights due to the due diligence and market analysis that you would typically be doing. So really keen to share some of your broader thoughts and insights, as well as diving a little bit into your fund and how you operate. Um, But before that, you've got quite an interesting background. It's uh, it's going back very early Mm. days. It's a random point, but I'm actually sat in a former Marconi building uh, in Liverpool as we speak, and I know that your connections were at Marconi GC very early on. But perhaps you could share a little bit, perhaps, of the more recent experience that led you to uh, founding ETF Partners. Uh, sure. Of course, though, we, we founded it over 15 years ago, so I'm thinking back. Um, but I, I had worked for over 20 years with a firm <laughs> called 3i beforehand, and, and, you know, I had a wonderful time there. They let me, to mm-hmm. a high degree, do my own thing, one of which was, one of those things was going off to America to set up a, a Silicon Valley operation for 3i in the dot-com era. But I was always going to come back to Europe because we had kids and they were growing up and it's all, you know, that's very predictable. <clears throat> and you can never really successfully go back after such an adventure. Um, and so I knew that in advance and I had said that I would want to do my own thing. But I found myself... Uh, back in Europe from Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, wondering what I really wanted to do. And, and it reminded me that my job is my hobby and I wanted to keep doing it. But, but also, I genuinely believed in climate change then. And with, with you know, having just returned to Europe because of our kids, mm-hmm. I, I also found myself wondering how I'd explain to them that I knew all about climate change and did nothing. And so, of course, I, I looked around me and I thought, well, <clears throat> what about right. using venture capital techniques to to uh, fund the innovations that could make a difference. Um, clean tech wasn't a word, by the way, um, but, but it became a word as we were launching a fund and we, sure. we said, let's, let's raise a proper size fund, 100 million, and, and we'll try and demonstrate that venture capital is a great uh, way of funding these sorts of innovations that could make a real difference in the world. And if we succeed, maybe we'll create a wave and, and see a catalytic impact of more money going into the area. So, so that that was that was the idea when we started, uh, and of course we said yeah. we said to big institutions. So we said Europe's the right place to be. This is an important thing to do, um, and uh, you should find the most experienced team you possibly can that does this and back them. And then we said, oh, <clears throat> there isn't one. 
So we've we've created one, and maybe maybe you know we're the best option for doing this. And that that was our whole argument for getting going. So it was it was very um, entrepreneurial. Arguably, it was all too early that first wave of clean tech, but but we got going and we stuck with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I first got involved in cleans back in 2007. And at that time, you know, the world has changed enormously even since then. So to be looking yeah. at, as you say, before even clean tech was coined as a term, I guess, to, uh, to, to, to raise the fund, I guess that was pretty challenging to raise that, given the cost uh, of most of the things that we're involved with now uh, is, was significantly higher. Fundraising is always difficult. I think everyone pretends it's easy, but it's hard, and uh, it takes resilience and determination. But we we did manage it, right? And and um, by the way, that first generation of clean tech funds had pretty universally terribly perf bad performance, and so we we were one of the few that survived. And it took even more yeah. resilience and determination to raise a second fund, which is doing well, and now a third fund, which is I'm really happy with. Um, and so now we find ourselves, because we were a decade too early, we find ourselves in the right place at the right time, actually in a great position. Um, and, and the opportunities yeah. now are just so much better than they were. Yeah, no, it's interesting how um, there's a couple of things that spring from that. One of which, again, I often get asked at the moment, is is this another cleantech bubble? We all obviously saw one the first time around right. where a lot of you know funds and uh, investors caught a cold um, with, yeah. with things that happened. Um, and that's... Uh, Interesting. And, and aligned to that, I think a lot of companies who are too early do an awful lot of the legwork and spade work and, and sort of pioneering work. Yep. But not too often do those early ones actually either survive or, or reap the rewards of their, their, their pioneering. Well, well, a few do. And I, but I think it does take a certain amount of bloody mindedness, right, and determination and resilience. Uh, um, but, but uh, you know, I, I think we look forwards rather than backwards. Um, and th this is... This, this is, a, you know, to your question of is this now just another bubble, you know, I, I, on some level, uh, you know, there's a lot of money floating around the global financial system, so you could argue that there's asset inflation in general, but within our world of, uh, I would call it sustainability or climate tech, because I've never liked the phrase clean tech, sorry, but, but within our world, um, I think it's profoundly different, actually. Right. You know, in that first wave, we and everyone else were backing very young companies, typically pre-revenue. There was a lot of what I would call technology push. You know, we found this great technology. We think it should be deployed. And pushing technology into unready markets, if you phrase it like that, is obviously hard work. Yeah. Today, it's, it's, it's the polar opposite. We see um, industry changing rapidly and industry hungry to adopt you know, obviously the car industry um, is changing in front of our eyes, the energy industry is changing, but actually every industry is, is eager to become green. Yeah. And that market pull is very, very different. So we see um, far more accessible opportunities for us and for entrepreneurs. And, and frankly, it's much easier to start a business anyway. There's so much more infrastructure on tap um, that it's easier mm -hmm. for, you know, the, the, the costs of getting going initially at least are lower yeah yeah absolutely and of course we're, there's, there's so much more that's doable and so much more that's pretty much software based rather than uh, you know, exactly. originally a lot of the early things clearly more more hard tech oriented hardware oriented um which is something we we can return to so given the fund is or, or the, the the entity is sort of 15 years old or so and there's been huge changes in the sector over that period of time patrick how if, if at all has the sort of the mission the ethos of the uh, of your 
fund and your work changed? Or, or how would you describe you, where you're at right now? Well, I don't think the mission's changed at all over that time period. And, and the, the, the reason we started up was to show that venture capital could make a difference to the world, the real world, right? And that mission hasn't changed at all. The language has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about sustainability, uh, not clean yep. tech. Um, we, we talk about the energy transition, mobility, and so on. But, but in effect, under the hood, we're trying to find entrepreneurs we really get on with who are probably feeling pretty good about their business growing or beginning to grow. And we help try and accelerate their growth working with them as partners. Um, so we're backing innovation, we're backing growth. We're backing companies in Europe, um, and uh, I don't. There's no plans to change that focus at all. So this is the only thing we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we we have that uh, ourselves in our own world, and, and obviously with Hyperion, the fact that we're so laser focused, I think attracts a lot of people to recognise exactly. that that, uh, that there's value in that. Um, given that, um, the, the, again, the sort of uh, the the. The, the changing dynamics of, of, of some of the things we've discussed and we'll go on to discuss, but in terms of where you are right now, what's the, do you sort of do lead investments, co-investments, what's your typical ticket size, what what kind of um, round do you tend to get involved in? Yeah, so we're, we're generally uh, very active, we're always on the boards of the companies we, we invest in and support, and so we're typically a lead investor, and that's how we think, so we're not waiting for other people to make up their minds, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll invest maybe... At the low end, uh, three million, and the high end, ten million pounds, initially in a company, and uh, we'll typically reserve quite a lot of money for for what we right. call follow-on investments, and we'll we'll often pull in other investors around us as the journey progresses. Yeah. So so we're quite happy working with others, and you know if we invest in a company, what matters is to do whatever we can to make sure it succeeds, right? And, and by the way, there's the secret of our success, if we have any is alignment of interest, which is the key thing that we will focus on with entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sort of going back to the thing that we touched on before, and we discussed this when we spoke briefly before, that there's an awful lot of, um, and it's such an exciting place, and it's, it's clearly a good place to be, but sort of digitalization of both energy and mobility attracts an awful lot of investment and funding. And therefore, startups uh, who are perhaps more SaaS or platform-based find it maybe slightly easier to to raise funds than those who are mm-hmm. or still have an element of hardware in their solutions. Did you, I don't know from your own perspective, on perspective, but broad, more broadly, do you think the VC uh, sector still supports businesses that are uh, more capital intensive and, and have a hardware element? Or is this now, do you think, the domain of CVCs and more strategic partners? Um, I think it's, it's people like to invest in companies that are easy to, to scale. To grow fast, um, and the the more you get into software, the more you, the more mm. digital you become. Uh, in general, the easier it is to believe that. So it's, it's mm. not so much that the, the the focus is is just on software. The focus is just on scaling fast. Everybody has right. realised that there's it's a lot harder to scale companies that make things at, at at very high speed. Now that doesn't mean they're bad investments. It means you have to really look very carefully. Yeah. Uh, at, uh, before taking that decision, so the bar is probably a bit higher, um, but it's not impossible. Uh, you know, we we focus mm-hmm. very much on companies that uh, are digital in some dimension, and they use that digital technology and software to to give them an advantage. And so, digitally enabled companies can be very attractive uh, for us, and there may be a hardware component as well as a software component. But but in general, 
you know, the more you get into big mm -hmm. physical things, the harder it is to attract venture capital, I would say, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. But I, it's good to see that I think, certainly from experience, there are still some VC money at that stage, but there's much more. I think the whole um, strategic partners and corporate venturing world has changed significantly over the last five years or so. And, yeah. and perhaps for, they have maybe not so much deeper pockets, but I guess better um, a better gear towards co helping companies to find markets for products that are more hardware orientated. Well, I, well, that's interesting. I'm not sure that's right, but I, I think they they actually uh, bring their own strategy to the party. And, and if, of course, if you're thinking about hardware companies, they're bringing their interest in hardware to the party. Uh, yes, but I don't think it's necessarily that they will do a better job at introductions, actually. You know, they, they, they have an agenda, and it can be great if it's congruent, if there's an alignment of interest. If it isn't, that's probably worse, right? So it's, it's horses for courses. Looking broadly at the investment market, Patrick, at the moment, it's easy to point the things at things like green hydrogen and mobility and, and, and see that they're very heated. Um, I, I, I'm interested to see whether, from your perspective, for startups, that's actually a good or a bad thing. No, clearly, there's a lot of interest these days in the hydrogen economy. And, and I think it's... Uh, it can be great for people looking to raise money there, but but it's it's a fast moving market, and um, you know I, mm -hmm. I think uh, there's there's always good and bad news in anything that gets uh, gets a lot of heat and attention. So I think if you're aiming to raise money in that environment, that's great. If you're, uh, but but the there's a lot of wild promises going on around there as well, which uh, you know a number of which will not be fulfilled. So I, I think yep. if I was talking to an entrepreneur, I'd say. You know, great news, you can raise money, but you have to deliver what you promise. And so you have to keep your feet on the ground whilst perhaps all around you, those mm. there may be people who are failing to do so. So, you know, nothing is ever easy. Um, but, but I think that uh, the credibility of knowing you can deliver is, is essential. Um, and, and it's essential to convince uh, seasoned yeah. investors generally as well. I mean, to my mind, sometimes is, is not much difference in terms of difficulty when you, you're struggling to get your voice heard because no one's listening versus struggling to be heard because everybody's talking, <laughs> if you like. So, um, you know, if you have an innovative or a, a technology which is good, I think sometimes the white noise of a big background makes it more difficult. It, it, it's, it's just a different challenge, I think. But, but uh, as ever, I, I think if you're, you know, if you're looking to create a business that's going to have a big impact, you, you just have to think carefully about about your own market entry, about about which market you're aiming to dominate, um, and you know sometimes in big markets we see people coming along talking about that only they only need five percent market share to succeed, and that's not an appealing message, right? We and others want to understand why the companies we're backing right. can be meaningful um, and make a difference in the markets they're they're going into. So, if you've got a big booming market, you need to think especially carefully, I think, about your market entry strategy. And, uh, you know, what, what, what are you going to be best in your yeah. world at is the regular question. And I guess having the amount of experience that you and your colleagues have and having seen so much specifically in and around clean tech um, over the last 15 years plus, going back to the thing you touched on with strategic partners, I think the insight clearly I would have thought is something which... Um, again, the old thing with VCs, it's not about the money, it's about the right money and, and what comes with it. Yeah, well, I, I think it, it, a lot of it's about the money, actually. Um, but but if, if you're lucky enough to have an option of <laughs> okay. choice between different sources of money, then, then of course, it's, you know, then personally, I would 
argue that you're best off picking your partner really carefully. So I often say to people, you know, we take references, by the way, yeah. on everybody we invest in. Um, um, so I say to entrepreneurs, you should take references of us or anyone else you're considering um, because it's, it's really easy to yeah. be friendly when everyone's selling to everyone else at the start. Um, but, but you really want to know how people behave when things get a bit tougher. Um, almost every business will go through a hard time at some stage, right? And uh, uh, I, I think it's important that investors yeah. can roll with the punches a little bit and be supportive in difficult times. Um, that, and that isn't the same thing as being just soft, no, it's it, but it it is essentially someone who recognises that things rarely go to plan, and who can be flexible and adaptable, um, and and in turn resilient. Yes. Yeah, I, I think those are core factors in any form of partnership, whether it's your know, a sort of a personal relationship or or any form of uh, professional relationship. Is that, you know things aren't always smooth. There's there's going to be ups and downs, and uh, it's surprising in our world how many people don't take references in terms of either the the search firm they might use, or even more so in terms of the people they bring on board into the organisations. And it's good to see that kind of yeah. How do they behave when things aren't running so well? Right, and 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 on that, by the way, one. One thing we've started to see in the past uh, 18 months probably is um, founders who, who are passionate about uh, making a positive difference about sustainability, um, seeking out investors who they see sharing the same values. And, and you know, even three or four years ago, we didn't see that very much. Mm. Uh, but now, increasingly, we do. We, we see people coming to us and saying, right. you know, we want you to invest because that will, will reflect well on our brand. Um, and, and we think we'll do better because you share our beliefs. And that, I think, is just lovely, really. Yeah, no, you can't underestimate the importance of a shared set of mission and values to help you through you know, what was often uh, challenging times. And I think, again, maybe entrepreneurs becoming a little bit more savvy. Maybe there's more money about and people can be a little bit more choosy perhaps or whether there's just a, a, an awareness that you know the shared values mean a great deal and money in and of itself that's what you say clearly all money is good but um it, it, it's so much better if there are some uh, some alignments over and beyond the money so um looking a little bit into your portfolio and the com- some of the companies patrick that you have i'm aware of some of them or certainly aware of some of them but um perhaps you can share and it's always a difficult one about which child you talk about or which which baby's best. But uh, perhaps you can share some information about one or two of the the um, companies in your portfolio. Why and why you chose to invest in them? Well, as you say, we love them all, right? And we 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 try to love them all equally. So, um, and, and by the way, um, it, when we as a firm make an investment, it's not it's the firm makes the investment. So we all stand behind every company. So I don't pick my favourites. You know, we we we. We have a collective responsibility right. to make sure they all work. Um, but 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 it, thinking about the things we've been doing recently, that we, we had been spending a lot of time looking at the um, software companies in logistics because this is a couple of years ago, we thought there's an area that where mm-hmm. there's a room for a huge, uh, it was a huge market beginning to change. There's room for a lot of environmental benefit with, with more efficient logistics. And so for various reasons, we looked quite carefully at the whole logistics market and we, ma- we made a couple of investments in and around that area, um, which were uh, one pre-pandemic, one immediately post. Um, and we've seen that area really uh, grow far more rapidly than we expected, in part, of course, because the pandemic yeah. accelerated all all those companies and so that that's been a been really interesting to see so so we've we've found 
mobility companies in general to be doing very, very well in the past couple of years. And we have we have uh, companies uh, like Shipio and Urbance in logistics software. We have companies uh, like Zelo mm -hmm. and Vlog in in uh, transportation and mobility. Um, and, and all those themes have, have continued to do very well. But, but in general, frankly, since our focus is on, tends to be on digital companies delivering sustainability, we've seen a, a real acceleration of digital through the pandemic, and we've, we've seen vastly yeah. greater interest in sustainability, and the, the crosshairs of the two remains very, very attractive to us. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see that sort of the the sort of knock on effects of some things, and again, perhaps people traditionally think of solar uh, or clean tech as you know solar panels and wind turbines and some of the obvious things that were uh, visible some years ago. But now, I think what's really interesting, as you say, is that digitalization of industry as a whole. Mobility clearly is going through, as you said, a transformation on a daily basis. We can see, but even beyond that, um, you know, how buildings are constructed, prop tech is sort of starting to merge into sort of. Uh, um, uh, into clean tech and obviously food, uh, incredibly important to sustainable food generation and yep. agri-tech and these other areas that are, um, you know, I guess don't necessarily fit under an umbrella, but just the whole way society and the way that we live right. is is being um, disrupted by and large for digitalization. I mean, really, digitalization is disrupting things with increasing speed, but but sustainability as a uh, is cutting across many more sectors as well. Um, you know, we've, we've seen, I'll give you an example of a company we, we invested in recently called The Modern Milkman in the UK. And that sounds really old fashioned, The Milkman. But but this is a company started by a repeat entrepreneur, mm -hmm. um, a lovely guy who, who knew exactly what to do. And you know, he, he'd got £250,000 and got going and, and, was, and has been growing incredibly fast. But his whole, his whole driving passion was to get rid of single-use plastics from the delivery chain to, to your and my house, right? And right. the way he does that is with what appears perhaps like an old-fashioned milk delivery system, but it's all, it, you know, there's no plastic, right? And it's, it's such a simple concept, but it's enabled and empowered by very sophisticated data um, to make things efficient. And this company is, is you know, it's, it's expanded out of all recognition in the short time we've invested and the prospects look look uh, very very good. Yeah. So, so it's it's a nice example to me because it combines a few things. It combines an entrepreneur who, you know, had a lot of experience and a real passion to, to make a difference, and that was driven by that, not just money. Um, it, it it but it's on top of that, it was taking what to many was an old fashioned business and making it modern again, and and relevant and uh, much more yeah. economic. And the, the benefits of digitalization are so apparent. It's it's astonishing, actually. I think that's really interesting. I think I uh, looking into it, I think someone referred to or, or, or sort of painted the scenario of imagine if you could get local produce that was fully recyclable, delivered to your doorstep by an electric vehicle. <laughs> and exactly, it was something which, we, you know, when I was growing up, we all had had a milkman and a milk float. So, um, again, but that element of digitalization and, and obviously there's a lot more to it to make it pro pro proactive but uh, right. I think that just strikes the element of every aspect of our lives are open to if not already open to an increased sustainability through the use of technology I, I really think so but I, I also think we're just seeing the start of it and, and what we expect to see is, is an acceleration over the coming years uh, because uh, there is a far greater sense of urgency of the need to change right and and Frankly, I think it's wonderful because we've spent mm -hmm. years saying 
the need is clear, uh, but now it seems to be clear to everybody, right? And and that's uh, driving far more rapid change than we ever expected. You know, if 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 I think back four yeah. or five years ago, it was quite hard to talk to the CEO of an energy company in Europe, right? And they mostly didn't want to talk to us. And maybe they we ended up being able to talk to the marketing department and then and the strategy department. And finally, in the past couple of years, we can talk to the CEOs of these companies. And what's more, we can say, well, if you don't change, you're toast. And and they're not offended, they agree. They say, yes, we, we're aiming to change as fast yeah. as possible. And, and so sustainability is is right at the top of the agenda for many large companies in Europe. And that, that's, that's uh, quite profound. And so we do think that that will lead to an acceleration of um, new products and services, new ways of doing things. And I think if they don't, consumers will just abandon them. So, um, you know, it's enlightened self-interest. I think, as you say, there's a, there's a there's clearly now a, a significant drive both at policy level and and perhaps even more so at corporate level for companies recognising that they have to become more sustainable and deal with the way that they, uh, or their impacts environmentally and society from a society point of view. Going back to your point there, in terms of looking a little bit further down the line, um, it's easy to see there's still lots of leverage still for within and around mobility as an example. But are there areas where you're starting to look a little bit further out, thinking well, th this is of interest to us or could be of interest to us in the future? Uh, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of what we call top-down studies of finding areas we think are, should be interesting um, and, and looking around to try and find emergent, exciting companies. Um, and, and I'm kind of yeah. reluctant to dive into too many of those. We often look and think, no, it's not interesting, actually. But we, we had... Uh, but if I think over the recent past, you know, we had done quite a deep dive into uh, green finance because we thought um, fintech was an area that didn't have a green angle and so we, we looked at that um, and I think green fintech right. is now a term but it wasn't then. Um, we, we did actually find and make one investment in a in a, a lovely company um, called Tomorrow which is a green equivalent of a Monzo's and Revolut's um, uh, but, but mm -hmm. you know fintech can be green, finance should be green um, we, we've been looking more and more at, around yep. sustainable consumerism, um, and, and there's, a, there's a lot under the hood there. We've been looking at uh, software and data in, in agricultural technologies, which, again, I think is, has been slow yep. to happen, but is, is now becoming much more interesting. So there's, we have a range of these themes we really do try and dig into, um, and uh, they're changing all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it's it's I think it's it's quite helpful for us to to see a lot of companies in an area, and then at least when uh, an entrepreneur walks in the door, we we can have we can have some level of starting information, and it's very helpful to say to someone in EV charging. Yes, we've seen twenty companies in EV charging, right? At least we can ask the right questions. Yeah, and certainly I think some of those areas where we, we touched on before, where there's so much um, potential around. Financially touched on, we've been working with an organisation called Yova, which is around an investment, um, a sort of ESG investment platform for, for consumers. Um, and obviously, uh, food uh, we, we touched on as well in terms of uh, in terms of agritech. But there's there's certainly so many really interesting uh, places um, and, and subsectors of that broadly fit under the clean tech umbrella, if, if if you still use that term. Um, Given the, the wealth of experience, Patrick, that you have and um, knowing or, or the landscape presently for 
entrepreneurs who have um, ideas, they're still maybe pre-revenue, maybe they have an MVP, but what, what, certainly at the earliest stages, what would you recommend, how would you recommend they go about fundraising? What are some of the key things they need to be aware of and what are the things they really need to be brushed up on and, and, and ready to run with? The key thing is to be able to communicate really simply and really clearly uh, the, and particularly why what you're doing or providing or intending to do or provide meets a, a real critical need. And, and very often when people are starting up their businesses, we find, particularly technology companies, people want to talk to us about their technology, right? And, and uh, you know, the, if, if, this is, if, if there are slides, the first 10 slides are all about the technology and the detail. Actually, invest, if you want to speak to an investor, speak to the, in, yeah. the investor in the investor's language, which is, why is there a need? Why is there an opportunity? Why is there room for a startup company to succeed? Because not every market is right for startups, right? Yeah. So, so, and actually, most people will not buy from a startup if there's any viable alternative. It, it's a bit crazy to do that, right? So you need a really, you need to meet a real critical need that's being met in a way that can't be met today. That's the ideal, anyway. And 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 then people can have to buy from you, right? So that's what we're kind of looking for if it's very early stage. Yeah. But that that isn't about jargon and technology. That's about actual clarity of market entry often. That's a very good point. I mean, given what we do, I often get approached by companies that are looking for seed or maybe sort of rounds of funding and uh, and obviously to point them in the right direction for, 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 for the right sort of VCs for them. But um, often you do find, particularly if it's a, a very technical uh, founder, that they're, they're solving problems which don't really exist and spend an awful lot of time and money focused um, on the technology and not the problem. It, it can be, or or actually the, the, there is a real problem, but it's quite hard, if you're in it, it's hard to express it simply enough. So, you know, never worry about patronising an investor. You can't possibly make things simple enough, right? Simplicity is power. Yeah, critical components to uh, to, 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 to early stage growth for sure. Um, it's, it's been good to spend some time with you, Patrick, and share some thoughts on, on the fund and, and obviously the, the areas which are of interest to you. Um, we do, by matter of course, during the course of the podcast or at the end of the, the, the episode, ask a little bit of where your inspirations have come. Clearly, as you say, you've been quite some many years with a focus on impact um, since you returned to, to Europe. But were there any particular either individuals, books or thought leaders or anything which inspired you early on or which continues to inspire you to uh, to, to keep going on your journey? Um, I've, I've tended to think that you can learn something from everyone. And so I found not, you know, I don't have one inspiration at all, but I've, I think back uh, quite often over the entrepreneurs that I've backed or seen, but mostly ones I've worked with, and the lessons they've, they've taught me, and one or two have really uh, stuck with me. Um, and, you know, I could talk at length here, but I'll just... I'll just give you two examples. I remember backing a, a, a absolutely lovely guy uh, who, who um, and I won't tell you the, the business he was in, but every time I went to see him, his factory was a bit bigger. Uh, and I couldn't figure out how he did this. Literally, his factory was growing in front of my eyes. And so uh, I finally took him to one side and said, look, I just, you've got to tell me the secret. And he said, it's really simple. He said, I'm, I'm not very bright, so I keep things as simple as possible. And, and that way, it's it's easy, <laughs> and that sort of stuck with me. Um, but but I'll give you one other, and then I'll pause because I could go on at length. Another guy who's, who's still a good friend of mine, by the way, yeah. uh, thirty years later, who who said he could never persuade people of the need for change, 
and he realised he had to show them. So in his particular business, he he took his management mm-hmm. he he took his management off to Japan, where people were making computers far better and cheaper, and he 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 allowed them to see. And when they came back, they were always convinced. So, uh, you know, the talk doesn't convince; the walk convinces. Uh, and showing works, whereas telling doesn't. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think simplicity. Uh, uh, again, I don't remember the exact quote from Einstein, but essentially, it takes you know, it takes geniuses being able to explain things very simply. Essentially, um, uh, we're, we're all too common, or it's all too common for people trying to make things complex because that makes them feel better or more clever. And good business is is really pretty simple. But but the act of creating a great business is often starting with complex thoughts and, and, and just refining them and making them simpler and clearer to everybody else. Well, it's been great to spend some time with you, Patrick. Thanks for sharing your, your thoughts. And um, obviously, we'll point on the episode page to uh, the ETF fund and to yourself uh, if people want to make any connections or uh, see uh, some of the other portfolio companies in your, uh, in your uh, world. And um, yeah, it's been great to join, uh, for you to join us on the podcast and uh, look forward to seeing some more uh, great investments coming down the line. Very good. Nice to see you. Thank you for listening, and especially for those of you who subscribe to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, another great episode. Please do share with your friends and with your community. We've got some great guests lined up in uh, some truly uh, disruptive areas of uh, of technology and business models. So uh, please do subscribe, and I look forward to speaking to you on the next episode.